Let's get psyched about reading. In today's episode, my girlfriend Ella and my friend David sat down with me to talk about a book series that we really love, John Dies at the End. We're talking about the second book here. This book is full of spiders. And if you read the description below, then you would know that we did try to get John and Dave in on this, but they, they didn't want anything to do with us. So we decided to try and make sense of this story ourselves. And did we do that? Not really. I mean, we went through, we talked about the scenes, what they meant to us, but this story is nearly impossible to put sense to. But we did our best, and it was so much nonsense that it took us two and a half hours to discuss this book. So I split this up into two parts. This is part one, where we're going to talk about all the stuff that happens in the first half of the book, going all the way to the massacre at Firth Asylum in book two which is a part of this book. It's split up into three books inside of it. So, you know, there's going to be a part two to this, but I hope you enjoyed this part one. Thank you very much, Ella and David, for being on the podcast. And uh, let's get psyched about reading. I'm DJ Psyched, and you're listening to the Get Psyched Podcast. Let's get psyched about reading. I'm DJ Psyched. You're listening to the Get Psyched podcast. And today we're talking about this book is full of spiders. We're here today with Ella and David. Do you want to introduce yourselves real quick? Yeah, I'm Ella, aka Miss Psyched. I'm David. I don't have a nickname. I'm just David. <laughs> and we're talking about this book series because this is David's favorite book series, right? Yes, 100%. How many times have you read this series? <laughs> Too many to count. When I was working at Food Lion years ago in Pembroke, I used to put earbuds in my ears while I was cashiering and I would just have the audiobooks on repeat. So like in a three month span, I probably listened to the books like, God, seven or eight times each. Damn. I'm excited what you have to say about all this then. Cause you're like an expert on this series. This is like Ella's first time reading it and my second yeah. time. So like, you're definitely gonna be the expert here. But this book series, it's its a humor story. It's got science fiction. It's got horror fiction. It's incredibly hard to put into a genre. So I just put those together. It's 406 pages long. It's kind of a long book, but honestly, it feels way longer than that because of how much happens in it. And a short summary for anyone who doesn't know what this book is about. This, like I said, is the second book in the John Dies at the End series. It's very different from the first one because it's much more linear and sequential. But some spoiler alerts. So David Wong, he wakes up. There's a spider in his bed and the apocalypse starts. Things go crazy and all our main characters end up splitting up. And we get to see this apocalypse through all their different eyes. It's chaotic. It's crazy. And they meet up at the end. And that's when we learn all this good jazz. But we'll just, we'll just jump into the story now. Honestly, I don't even know where to start with this, so we're just going to start with the beginning. It starts with the truck scene. There's the G.I. Joes, there's the box. I want David to tell me, what do you think of the intro? What, what do you think is the significance and what do you think first time you read it? So the first time I read it, I was like, yeah, this is pretty much like the first book, you know, John and Dave doing what they do, pissing off the water tower. And then as it always happens for these two, something weird and, un and supernatural happens with the lineup of semis coming through. And then uh, one of them, I think, flies off the road, right? Yeah. And then they go there and they look to see the driver because th they're drunk. So they don't think, oh, all these semis we probably shouldn't deal with that unless we want another mishap like Vegas. No, they're like, hey, let's just go. And so they do and they see G.I. Joe's in the uh, in the driver's seat and the passenger seat, I think there's one in each. 
and they're kind of box. They don't know what's in the box and there's no visible latch to it. So they can't get it open, but they're still in their drunken haze, just taking home like, we'll probably use it later. Yeah. What'd you think of it, Ella, since your first time reading? I thought it was really confusing. Like when the G.I. Joes were there, I was really like, what the hell is going to happen in this book? It was a really good start to the book, though, because it's, you know, like David said, typical John and Dave being drunk fucks. <laughs> yeah, it was a good start. And I like how they like had the little mystery of what was in the, the, the box. I knew the box was going to be a big thing. <laughs> so I like how they set it up like that. Yeah. yeah. It really set the tone for the book, too, in like a good way. But they do switch it up very quick. Like they, they, they set the tone and then immediately they're like, okay, so we're done with that. We're going to go over here. And then they reset the tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what he did in the first book too. So that's why I was excited the first time I read it. Because you know, like in the first book, there's like those three little intros before you finally get into the story. And then in this one, we have, you know, there's this G.I. Joe scene and then, oh, and then David's in therapy. And then it's just like, you know, you know in your head that like what happened at the beginning, it's going to have something significant later but you don't know what because it just jumped from that to therapy. Yeah. Also, um, I love the, the introduction before the, uh, before they get to like the actual story, the introduction where uh, David Wong is actually addressing the audience. Oh, yeah. He's talking about, um, thank you for picking up my book. If you've uh, read the first one, go away. Start sending me hate mail. You can't know where this town is. Leave me alone. And if you like, but if you haven't, welcome. This is going to be a nice story. Um, it's going to be weird, but it's just great. I love, I love David Wong's humor when he's like addressing the audience. Like, yeah. Completely. My favorite part in that beginning is when he says like, I'm sorry for my harsh language. You'll see I'm not like that at all. I don't really like much language. <laughs> the whole book. <laughs> Yeah, and I like how he he also addresses like the they they like the way that they talked about me in the first book. That's not me. Like it made me look bad. But it totally <laughs> is it's totally him. But he is very different in this book than in the first one. Definitely more mature, I'd say. Like he's he's like grown up a lot, but at the same time, he still has those childlike tendencies, especially when he's with John. It, he sort of has it with Amy, but like in like a different manner. Like when he's with John, he's like a five-year-old. When he's with Amy, he's like a horny teenager. <laughs> it's two very different sides. Yeah. I like how in this book, you can tell that like, because in the first book, John, David was like, he didn't really give a fuck about a lot of stuff because he was like, I don't have anything to lose. But like now he does with, with Amy. And so it's just so cute. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that this book, you get more out of the characters because there's like that aspect of, you get more of their relationships together, but also it's very three-dimensional, the fact that we get to see from everyone's perspective this time. Mm-hmm. I love the way that like certain scenes connect, like you have, yes. like, we'll get to those later. Yeah. Like you have, you see it from one person's point of view and then like a couple chapters later, you see how it led to that with someone else's point of view and then you yeah what you thought it was and it's just insane the dots connecting in my brain the first time I read through it was just insanity I couldn't believe it yeah this I think this book was a lot easier to follow than the first one for sure definitely yeah it was like the big difference between the first book and this one is that the first one 
honestly, it was like so chaotic because it was like random stories and it was like, how do these align? But this one actually had like a whole plot that it went through the whole time. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of set up in the same way as the first one with it being like three separate books inside of one book because the first one, it was the, uh, I can't remember what the first book was called. And then there was the Vegas story and then there was the Korok stuff. Yeah. Which was all great. And then this one, you know, you have, um, God, there was the infection spreading. There was the massacre at Firth Asylum, and then there was the aerial bombing of Undisclosed. Like, they set up into three distinct things, but they all sequentially lead into each other, like, perfectly. The way he set it up, where you think with the countdown, they're going to be able to stop it somehow, but they never do. They all, it just always just gets worse and worse. And like they say, like, how do we keep fucking this up so bad? Yeah. Yeah, I think David Wong's an amazing author by the fact that he can, like, like the book was organized by, like, eight hours until the aerial bombing or eight. Like, the fact that you knew something was going to happen, but it didn't make it any less boring that you knew the big thing, because that wasn't even the thing that was exciting. Like, it doesn't no. matter that there was an aerial bombing. It's how it led to it that was the cool part. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we should get into, like, so after the therapy session, obviously, that's when the apocalypse starts with all the spiders. This book is full of spiders. And then Frankie comes in, they burn the place. So what, do you, what did you all think of that scene as far as like whose fault it was? Like when you're seeing that all this chaos broke loose, who did you like, going back thinking about that scene, who did you put the blame on? I just want to say, like, I, I don't know if I would put all the blame on him, but that fucking cop, uh, Frankie, oh, uh, he made me so angry. Cause like he just fucking busts into Dave's house. Like, hell no, it pissed me off. So yeah, it's all his fault. <laughs> I personally blame Dr. Tennant for everything that happens in this book. Like, I know that we didn't really talk about the therapy yeah. session, but like, I feel like with the things that he said to David and that first, and I think the second one happens before, uh, no, the first one happens, then Frankie gets the spider, and then the second one happens. So like, in that first one, he kind of puts the seeds of doubt in David's mind about everything. Uh, yeah. Stuff, which kind of like, and it's so expertly done by David Wong when he wrote it to like, he left the breadcrumbs there for their ending reveal about, you know, Tenet being who he is and everything, that it just makes so much sense that the therapy sessions would lead into perfectly how he handles the most stressful situations that he's ever had to deal with in his entire life. So I kind of blame uh, Frankie for, you know, just not like if you know who David and John are and you see them saying, hey, you got something on your face. I know you can't see it, but trust me, there's something right there. You mean to tell me knowing the history these two have, you're not going to be like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> honestly, like, you know, these guys, you went to high school with them. Yeah. And even like before that, like, I still to this day have no idea why Frankie took it upon himself to go into David's house. Like, <laughs> it's because of the uh, neighbors calling the police, but like, I feel like the, the wounds and all, like, as if you look at it from the point of view of him trying to, you know, protect civilization, you, you can see, you know, you go to a guy's house after there have been reports of screaming, like, oh yeah, you might want to check on that. And then you see him all bloodied up. Like, <laughs> Maybe we need to, you know, investigate. Cause there might be like, I think David Wong says that he, that Frankie probably thinks that there's a dead prostitute somewhere in the house. It's like, yeah. there might have been somewhere. I don't know. We didn't check the basement. Yeah. But I, if you know who David is in the story, like, 
it's just, you know better than to just not listen to him when he says, okay, just back out. Just, this is too much for you. You're gonna have to take your leave now. Exactly. We've kind of seen in this book, what I think is interesting is that the town has kind of turned on them. Like you would think like after the first book and the fact that all this crazy stuff happens in the town and like everyone knows that there's something shady going on, but they're covering it up. They don't want you to know. So they like are shedding a light on John and Dave that's supposed to be like, these two are crazy. Like he doesn't have a good track record. He's in therapy because of the incident with the crossbow. So like everyone in the town, even though they kind of know that Dave and John are legit and this stuff does happen, they're trying to make it seem like these two are just crazy. Like, let's keep an eye on them. Yeah, that both freaked me out and pissed me off because like the whole therapy meeting with Tenet and stuff, I I just felt so bad for Dave. Like he really like, uh, everybody makes him feel crazy. Ugh, yeah. I had a nightmare about that, too. <laughs> yeah, about everyone thinking I was crazy. I want to know what, uh, what the pizza guy said to David to make him shoot him. Because if you remember when Amy was recounting the story, he said that she said that um, the pizza guy whispered something to Dave to where she couldn't hear it. And then I think that's when he, like, shoves him out and says, if you ever come near her again, I'll do more than just shoot you with a crossbow. It was something along those lines. Where, like, that's when he got really mad. It was, like, you know, in the first book, when, like, those random, like, remember in the very end when that dude just started, like, talking, like, weird shit? And he was, like, trying to speak in, like, slang, but it was just, like, like he just sounded stupid. Are you talking, like, about, I think, Fred, are you talking about the Fred Durst part? Yeah. Like, he from Whip Biscuit being in the book, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it was something like that, like, some weird person who who isn't, like, all there like there's they're part of you know it's Korok it's still yeah like he's still here in the second book doing things and it's really weird because I thought we finished him in the first one yeah and nobody even says the words Korok I think Dave says it once I think he says tell oh yeah he's like tell Korok I have uh, way more arrows than that oh yeah. yeah there you go but I think that's the only like mention he actually gets in the book like like, you feel his presence, but, like, that's it. Like, you feel it for, like, a slight moment, and then it just batshit insanity from there on. So, Leanne, who, whose fault do you think it is? Um, I agree that, like, everything comes down to Tenet, and, like, we'll, we'll talk about it more as we get, like, later in the book, but, like, Tenet's shady as hell. Tenet had something to do with this, but also, I don't even, like, honestly, this book confuses me, but it makes me excited because, yeah, it's partly Tenet, but it's also this them right whoever the hell's in control which is kind of like where we get Karak right like Karak is behind them but is Karak behind them or is Karak them or is Karak a part of them I don't the whole them thing really fucks me up is are you talking about like the shadow people is that who them well, is the well, way that they talk about them them is like well Vicky <laughs> so well I don't really want to you've read... get into it go for it you've read the third one right I'm not gonna do any oh, okay yeah yeah I've read the third one so, so that's them yeah but okay i need to reread the third one though because honestly this series is so chaotic you've read it many times now so you can probably remember but honestly i really didn't know what was happening in the second book until i reread it because everything from book one two and three all meshed in my head by the time i was done with the series yeah definitely but like so the capital t them that you know i mean nobody knows who they are you know they even make a bunch of jokes in the books about 
I think uh, David says, if you ask John who they are, he'll say, well, I'll tell you this much. They're not fucking vampires. <laughs> and then just stare at you for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> Which is still such a John thing to do. <laughs> but I just think that like in this, like the, the way that they talk about them and stuff, it's like, yeah, they are behind it all. But like, what happens like obviously yeah it's like they're all responsible for their own individual actions but they set it up knowing what's going to happen based on how they set it up you know they knew shit was going to go crazy if they put that spider in dave's house they knew that dave was going to lose his mind if they kept having that person come and then like the real pizza guy came and, and you know like they knew what they were doing like even though dave did the actions they set it up yeah, yeah. but i feel like that's also like i mean i'm not saying that tenet is innocent <laughs> but like <laughs> In the end, he kind of mentions that, you know, he's just like a cog in the machine. Like, he didn't have any choice. He either was supposed to do whatever he did, which, yeah, yeah. or die, I guess. I don't know. I don't it's, know. It's like, um, do y'all remember in the first book when David talks about the friend of his that he swears was dead? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anymore? That's because of them. Like, that's like their power. They can blip someone out of existence and you will never have known that you knew that person unless i guess i guess the soy sauce kind of helps you like have slight memories of them yeah. for david and john where they can sit there and they can like kind of reminisce about times they had with him but it's never like enough to like prove wholeheartedly that this guy did exist like they know that he should but it's just like a weird deja vu type thing and like that's kind of what they did with Tennant. Whereas, like, I think Marconi says that if they needed him to be a plumber with 25 years of plumbing experience, yeah. Yeah. that's what he would have grown up and been. Mm-hmm. But they needed the guy who was good with psychology and a uh, group of... Uh, Paranoia. Paranoia. Yeah. That's what they made him into because that's what they needed for this plan to go through. I just don't understand, like, what they want with John and Dave. Because if they're so powerful and, like, I feel like they're not trying to kill them or else they would not exist at all because, you know, they have that power. So I don't, like, do they just, like, want to fuck with them? Probably. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly. When I I think of them and I think of, like, how they connect with everything, they just see everyone as pawns. Like like David said, like, if he needed to be this, he would have been that. They're all just pawns in their game. What what their game is, we'll find out more. Like, honestly, I feel like even after you read the third book, it's still, like, I really hope this fourth book comes out soon because I don't know what the is happening still thankfully he's like in full swing with writing it so hopefully by god i'm hoping like 2022 we'll have the fourth book and we can read it it'll be great yeah Yeah, sounds like so far from i just wanted to bring this part up because it comes in like at the point in the story that we're kind of at one of my absolute favorite moments and one of my favorite things that he said because i love when he just drops little like random like i don't know real shit in the story when he talks about he's like if you're wondering why i came into work in like the middle of the apocalypse like Mm -hmm. i can't afford to lose my job like you must be living at home if you don't understand why i was still showing up to work in the middle of the apocalypse i thought that was the (laughs) funniest that's my favorite line in the whole book we'll get to my favorite line later because i have like my favorite line from the whole series is later when we meet lance falconer oh my god lance is so funny oh i love him him and john their conversations. I love their prison break. It was the best thing ever. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. No, I just love how at the end of the book, you're like, is his name even Lance Falconer? Because you know, when he talks about like writing the book, you're like, I don't even know what's real about Lance. Yeah. 
nothing we heard about him was real at all. Like that even goes back to like the uh, you remember the Elmo doll and the uh, and the shed that tells you your penis size. Yeah. Remember you remember when it says what is it like nine inches erect for Lance? Yeah. I think that was a part of the deal that they made. Like, <laughs> listen, I know it said five, but you're gonna make it say nine. <laughs> yeah. So around this point in the story too, we get like that crazy scene where John's like trying to find what's his name? Frankie? Yeah, when Frankie's like crazy and stuff, and then there's like that weird scene with the turkeys. And I think the biggest point that they make at this point in the story is like, is it just a breeder monster or is it something else? And this is when they find out that it's a breeder. Definitely a breeder. Yeah, I honestly, I don't know. There's so much that happens around that part. What did you get from that part? I can't remember what the other option was, honestly. It was it was a breeder and... It was a breeder or a feeder, I think. Breeder or a feeder? I think you could... Hang on, I'm going to hunt through the books. <laughs> yeah, the turkey scene was honestly... That was one of my favorites because it was, it was just... It was classic John dies at the end shit, like weird ass turkeys running all over the place a turkey monster like at the first book we had the meat monster and now we have the turkey monster yeah but i think like just that scene in particular because we we didn't know much about like the spider thingies or like what the hell they could do and stuff so that scene just freaked me the fuck out because i was like oh my god these are some powerful whatever the hell they are like they can do some fucking freaky ass shit i was like yeah Wait, that's a good point you bring up because it's like the same thing with the soy sauce, right? Like we never really get clear rules as to how it works. And, and like you brought up, like when we were talking about this earlier, how like, why the hell did Dave get paralyzed by the spider when no one else ever got that side effect and everyone else acted different with the spider, you know? Yeah. And I mean, we only get one example because everybody's like, um, when they talk about being infected with the parasite and the, why they had to quarantine the whole town and stuff, it's because like, you can't even tell who has a parasite and who doesn't but I only we only got one example of um that one girl when they were way far like in the prison and stuff and she was like David checked her and then she was like check again and then he saw it yeah that was the only time that you ever saw somebody who was infected and you couldn't really tell because as far as I could tell you could tell if people had that fucking disgusting ass spider in them well I mean there's also the case with Anna I mean she's oh yeah but was that even the same thing Kind of, I think. Like, it's it's weird, right? Because like they don't really tell you straight up like what exactly Carlos and Anna have, because it's different. Because it seems like she got hers through genetics. Yeah, and it's like tentacle things. It, it's different kind of mutation. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a mutation. It's not like a parasite. I think Carlos had like the same thing though, didn't he? Because yeah. coming up through the ground, it, I, I've always, I always pictured it kind of like a giant worm or like something like that where it just yoink and then come on, you're coming out. Oh, it's breeders and non-breeders. It's very- Oh, okay. I, I couldn't remember that, but it was breeders and non-breeders. <laughs> okay. Well, they were definitely breeders. Definitely. <laughs> so yeah, that's, I mean, there's not much more to say about that. There was the turkey scene and that's when we find out that they're breeders um, John gets into that car accident. This this is actually when chaos breaks loose at that point, because this is when they decide to burn the place down once they realize it's a breeder. Yeah, once they get back to David's house and... Uh, Frankie's there. Yeah, and he's laying all the, the freaking eggs on the bed and they're like devouring turkeys because he stole the freaking... Because uh, Frankie stole the Cadillac. And then one of my favorite Dave moments was... Uh, <laughs> 
Wisdom's like, don't come in, I'm naked. And then Frank just busts down the door and he's like, Frankie! Wait, had we met uh, Falconer by then? Yeah, we had to have. I think so. I, I thought he came during that time because he, yeah. he was- He shows yeah. up there, but I think we, it, we get introduced to him like a little bit before because he breaks into the house. I thought when, when uh, David was at work. That... No, I no. think- no, because that's when you see the uh, the skinny jean cowboy hat wearing dude. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. He, and then he shows up in the book later. <laughs> I forgot about him. Definitely. Oh, I love the, uh, what about the one guy who had a comment that John wrote in that said, if you tell him he had late fees, he'll flip his shit. And then they make a reference <laughs> at the end of the book by saying it wasn't in the Dropbox when I got back. You got a late charge, and then he flips his shit. <laughs> yeah. That was on the favorite John moments. Yeah. Really. Yeah, with the burning the place down, I love that scene because of the chaos of the fact that, like, it could have worked. Maybe. Maybe it had no one come to the scene and the shit had burned all the spiders down. It might have worked. But the <sighs> fact that the people, like, came rushing in, the spiders were able to attach before they were destroyed. You know, like, they had yeah. their ground to breed on then. They had hosts. You yeah, think something was... different, David? Because <laughs> you seem... <laughs> Well, it's like, so we never really know what all the spiders can survive. Like, I'd love to think that if nobody showed up to the fire at the Wong residence, that everything would be fine. But I'm, I'm not certain of it. Yeah. But, I mean, but that's not the choice we got either way, because everyone showed up and then all hell broke loose. But Yeah, literally. To that, my favorite line from the entire book series happens before the fire. So it's when Falconer shows up and he's telling Dave to put on pants and then Dave says, fuck you, this is my house. You take off this. John, get the twist. Let's go. My favorite line from all three books right there. Oh my gosh, yeah. I, yeah, LOL'd when I read that. <laughs> I lose my shit every time I hear it. What'd you think of the fire scene, Ella? I thought exactly what David said. All hell broke loose. Yeah absolute chaos terrifying i i get scared easily so there were plenty of times where i was like oh. was the part where the guy was using his rib as kind of like a sickle slice oh whenever i think of the fire i just remember that guy because i just remember dave's confusion where he's like huh he has some sort of hooked object that he's killing people with that's not a hooked object that's a rib yeah okay like the sense of helplessness that David feels and that's in that whole thing where he's yes. up and he can't do it. Like it, it hurts to read because it's like, you know how badly he wants to fix the fuck up that he kind of caused and he just can't because Falconer's on his ass. You got the firefighters blocking everybody while they're being turned into the- uh, There's an entire fucking crowd of people just ready to, <laughs> yeah, it was- it, it was so insane that like thinking about it now makes me laugh because it's yeah it's just so fucking crazy <laughs> what was john doing during that i can't was he he was locked up too right yeah i think they yeah. were both getting pulled into the car right i mm -hmm. think separate cars though but they both escape by oh yeah they go to the burrito stand right yeah okay because they get in John's caddy because of, uh, what was John's friend's name who had the bolt cutters? The one that got David. Oh, honestly, asking for details in this book is so hard. I'd have to read this series like 3,000 times to get it. Too much that happens. 
But it was the one of the guys he worked with, wasn't it? Yeah, the guy that was in his band, I think. Okay, yeah. He's also a volunteer firefighter, so you know. Good oh game. yeah. Yeah. The the thing that gets me about that scene and the part with like the ribs is that like now we're starting like in that scene since it's all chaotic and we're seeing more people get infected by the spider. It's like we're kind of learning what the spider's capable of, but it's just crazy because it's like we still we still have no idea what the limits are because like at first the spider's like crazy and it makes people mutate and stuff, but it's as if the like the spider's getting smarter as it goes on because later on it's like you can't tell if you look at someone, but at first it was like they just turned into crazy monsters as soon as they were infected. They yeah. Their face and yeah, that's a monster. Yeah. <laughs> He's only half a person. And also just thinking about the fact that nobody else can see the spiders. Like imagine fucking just watching somebody like yeah. jaw fall off or something like that. So like the news reporter lady. Yeah. Because you know? I think she like you start to see her face get like ripped eaten. off. Eaten, yeah. And then like the cameraman drops the camera. I think he gets eaten too, but like yeah. falls. And then they they describe it as all you see is like her face fall into frame and like half of it's gone and it's gross. Like, like you're watching the news and you just see that and like you can't see the spider you don't know what's going on you just see a parasite you just see a and you just yeah. hear chaos behind him probably see other kinds of terrifying shit like that in the background i don't know what the hell i would do if i saw that on yeah. the news cry yep <laughs> <laughs> cry. yeah <laughs> and what like that's like what amy's going through because amy like sometimes she can see stuff but she's never taken the sauce because like you know like they say like because of her having sex with dave she kind of has some of the effects but she doesn't know she doesn't know what's going on at this point so like literally while all this is happening amy is rushing to the scene of all this shit because she doesn't know what's going on yet making the same mistake that caused the outbreak going <laughs> to the scene where you can die <laughs> And this is when they, they're all about to start like splitting up because, you know, she's coming into town. Dave has no idea. And so like now after this fire, they're trying to leave town. And then the, the, the scene that always kills me is the scene at the mall where they're literally all in the same place but have no idea until they've split up. Yeah. It's the, because I think when you get it from Amy's point of view, doesn't she just, oh wait, no. That's when she actually realizes that it's John. But like, it's, it was so frustrating to have them all be there. Like they're, they're there. Just hug it out, guys. Come on. We get through the apocalypse together, but no, they all go like that. And it's all because Amy took the picture too close to the TV screen, so he thought it was legit. That part killed me. I was like, if she had just zoomed out a little bit and shown the TV, they would have been like, let's all meet up and leave undisclosed to get destroyed itself. Yeah. <laughs> Let the town burn. And get bombed. And this is like when, like, I mean, we obviously see already from like the end of the last book when he agrees to like get engaged to Amy that he loves her, but you kind of really see that side of Dave that will do anything for Amy because he runs back into the town that he was getting rid of just because he thought Amy could be in there. Yeah, like a dumbass. <laughs> My favorite part is when they're on that motorcycle and they're driving back and, <laughs> and John falls off. <laughs> he doesn't even notice. <laughs> that like, kills me. He was so determined to save Amy that he I know. Boom. And then he leaves his phone there to, you know, give John a message. And then I'm sure this is the part that we were about to start talking about, but the part where Dave goes into the door and then all John can hear is the gunshot. And then he sees the brain matter on the door of the porta potty. And that's the last thing we hear from Dave 
for a very long time. I I legitimately thought that he died for like the first time I read it. I was like, no, he, but like, could he have? And my, my brain was like trying to circle through. I was trying to rationalize. Like he's not dead. He's the main character. Well, one of them. But then I was like, oh wait, people die a lot in this series. We've already had Dave die once in the first book. Oh my god, yeah. Why not have Monster Dave die too? Yeah, that's like, this is where like the end of book one is. Like it kind of ends with us wondering if he died or not. Mm-hmm. Did you think he died, Ella? Yes, I mean, <laughs> I, I had mean, my I'm doubts. Sure. <laughs> I had my doubts, cause you know, same thing. Like, I like he's the main character, why would he? There's no way. But then how John was acting, I was like, no fucking way. <laughs> Like, oh my god, like, the moment when John is back on the motorcycle and he's riding back into town and, like, all he says is, those fuckers are gonna pay, that shit, oh, I love it. That is peak right there. Like, you get to really see his love for Dave, because, like, I know. he legitimately thinks his best friend in the entire world just died, and, like, there's nothing he can do to save him, because the door won't even work for him anymore. So he yeah. go and fight the people who killed Dave. And he's just like, all of these fuckers are going to pay. I love how in this book, you can kind of see like their relationship a little bit more. Cause you don't yeah. really like, you just hear like Dave, like talking shit about John, like, <laughs> yeah. But like, oh, there were so many like little sentimental moments, like at the end when they were like both on the sauce and stuff. Oh my God. I was going to cry. I was like, no fucking I, way. I teared up like the first time I read it. I was like, ah, no. <laughs> I know. Too many feels. Right? Yeah, but that moment did not even fucking prepare me for what came after that. But I don't know if we're (laughs) going to talk about it. (sighs) But yeah, that's, yeah, their love for each other. And you get, I think the second time you read it, like when you get to it, Ella, like reading this book series again, since you know that he's not going to die, it kind of just, I don't know, it, it really changed the way I saw the whole scene with, you know, John being depressed and he thinks his best friend's dead because you know, like, he's not dead, but there's, like, John just sitting around getting drunk for days because he can't will himself out of bed knowing that he doesn't have Dave to turn to anymore, that, like, Dave's all gone. The saddest shit. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, like, a good form of dramatic irony that's not lost on you on your reread. Yeah. It's, like, even though you know that Dave is fine, you know that John's not. You know that he's just in the worst shape he's probably ever been in and like he's just kind of I feel like he was regressing back to when he was happier like you know partying with frat boys drinking with cop girls waiting for the apocalypse to blow because he he doesn't know what to do like him and Dave always bounce the ideas off of each other to figure out how to solve problems but now there is no Dave yeah And what really gets me is that one part where he's talking to Amy and he's like, yeah, you might have been in love with Dave, but you haven't been Dave's like bro since the beginning. Like you, you don't understand what I'm feeling because this has been my best friend forever. And you might be in love with him, but I don't think you get what this is like for me. That one, that hit, like you could really (laughs) feel John's pain when he said that, like, what do you say? Like they've known each other for like 10, no, yeah, like 10 fucking years. Yeah. He's, ah. And- so the fact that he wouldn't tell Amy, I yeah. thought was like kind of sweet, but also I was like, if he's actually fucking dead and Amy's about to go into undisclosed again for a dead man, I'm going to kill John. But it was fine because he wasn't. Well, I think that there's two 
probably big parts of him that didn't want to tell Amy. Like there's the part of him that doesn't want to admit out loud that Dave could be dead. Like he doesn't want to face that reality and make it real. But also like him, you know, not having seen his body for, for real, like why put this stress and fear into Amy that he has on himself? Like he doesn't want to like, it probably just amplify his depression if him and Amy were both depressed together thinking Dave's out here dead. Yeah, that's yeah. true. The vibes would just be depressing each other. It's like, you say something depressing, they say something depressing, and it just gets worse. And, they, and John's like, listen, I need at least one kind of upbeat, cheerful person in my life right now. Yeah. Amy has a lot of patience for John. I would have been mm, so mad. The, the, the part yeah. with, with uh, John trying to call Marconi, that was... Uh, <laughs> I love John. Oh my God. Oh my God. That part kind of infuriated me because like, he just goes to the website and calls the hotline that he has that obviously isn't going to work. Yeah. Do you guys think that Marconi was already in the quarantine at that point? I think he was. I think he kind of clarifies that later on. Like he kind of hints that he'd been there for like that. Cause like Dave, Dave asked him like, how long have you been here? And he kind of says like, I've been there since almost the beginning. Mm-hmm. Which one was it that said that uh, it was one of the characters when the outbreak first started, they were talking about Marconi and then they're like, shoot, he probably got worried about the whole thing on his camera crew, right? And he's probably on the way down his clothes right now. <laughs> they did not know how right they were. <laughs> yeah. And just the fact that like they all turned on him and just kicked him into quarantine. I thought that was so fucked up. Wasn't that the whole point that wasn't like, didn't he go there to be in quarantine? Yeah. So I thought he worked with the specimens because like he was in it more for the science side. Where yeah. He, whereas Tennant was in it to, well, to fuck everything up. <laughs> also to like study the uh, uh, group panic because that's what he does. Like the group paranoia is like his deal. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, Marconi, he, even though he like, he was turned on, he went there knowing that that would happen. Like he, he wanted to be, stuck in what was happening because i feel like in this book we really get to see how legit marconi is he yeah, is so yeah. smart he is so smart he's smart and he's like he's not corrupt like in the movie yeah. when it's silly they kind of make it seem like he's just this weird rich corrupt guy but he yeah. actually really cares about what he's doing and he does it because like this is his interest this is what he's into like he he's like one of the few people in this story that like you can tell like he's doing this with intent he's not just like yeah. he's not one of these big pawns yeah. And I mean, like, you can tell, like, when you read the stuff from his books, like, when they have those little, like, passages and stuff, you always, like, learn a way, like, exactly what the hell is happening. Like, it, you, like they explain it. He explains it in a weird way. I kind of don't like how he, like, kind of talks, but, like, it's fine. <laughs> you hear from the audiobook, his, the, the voice they gave him in the yes. book is, I kind of, it's, it's endearing, but, like, at the same time, it's, like, I couldn't listen to him talk for a long time. So like, I'm so like when it's him talking, it's like short, brief stints. Yeah, he just sounds really pretentious. I mean, sounds like an old sailor to me. Like they kind of give him like an old sailor type voice. Old sailor. Like, like not like a pirate, but like like a rich granddad who's just always on a boat. I guess it's all up to interpretation then. Cause I don't think he sounds pretentious, although I could see where you could get that. And I could see the sailor thing. But when I, when I read it, I'm kind of like reading like this mad scientist in his bedroom. who's just like, this makes total sense. Like I, you know. I get that vibe too. I, I do. I, I think more just because of him in the movie. He was so bad in the movie. 
And in the first book, I think it was just like, you don't know that much about him. Yeah. But now that I know more, I get the mad scientist vibe for sure. I feel like he's, he has a lot in common with John and Dave in terms of like, he has no idea what he's doing, but much like John and Dave, he keeps stumbling into the right answers and doing everything he needs to do to make it happen. Like with the, with the mouthwash that he makes yeah. to help uh, the people kill the, the germs. Isn't it just like straight bleach mixed with something else? It was weird. Like, how can you drink that and not just die instantly? Because you have a parasite and you keeping you alive. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you might need to keep it in there the second it dies, you're screwed. <laughs> but it's good that you bring up the Marconi and his passages because that's how they start book two. They started him off with the passage he did about like zombies and why people are afraid of zombies and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was so good. I loved that passage. It was amazing talking about how like it's uh, the world's greatest fear. Yeah. Like the ant, how it's just a mindless worker that will forever be coming at you no matter what you do. It's so good. The way he describes it is amazing. Like, perfect. I just love how when we were yeah. reading it earlier, Leanne was like, <laughs> well, of course we're all zombies. Like, she was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, duh. I was like, okay. <laughs> okay, look, for anyone who just, who, for anyone who has a lot of existential crises, which Ella can tell you, I have a lot of existential crises, this is the book that like, you'll sit there and you'll be like, okay, David Wong gets it. Someone, someone gets it. This world is a crazy, it makes no sense. At least he put it into a book. So I feel a little better about it. Yeah. Also, it's a book about a parasite where people have to be quarantined. We're in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> yeah. where people have to be quarantined. <laughs> it's topical. <laughs> okay, yeah, rereading that book while in this pandemic and quarantine, it hit differently. It definitely did. <laughs> it's different. It showed us. Just reading the word quarantine made me roll my eyes. I was like, God fucking damn it. Get that out of my entertainment from this book. <laughs> yeah, I remember when, when Ella first started reading this, and she was like, well, what's this one going to be about? And she found the quarantine stuff. She was like, oh, uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> Not this. I can't escape it. <laughs> it's okay. The third one has no quarantine, I think. Good. I'm so excited to read it. I'm so angry that I've been away from my apartment. <laughs> gonna be a journey yeah i bet uses me more than any of the other oh any damn it uses me a lot i've i've listened to it i've read it i, I just got nothing book yeah okay. i mean in, in my opinion every book definitely yeah it gets better but it also it's not like a series where like oh as it goes along it gets clear as it goes along you're like i thought book one was chaotic and there was a lot to think about but now I don't even, I don't know what's happening. No. I'm going to be honest. I don't even remember what happened in book one <laughs> after reading book two. Vegas happened. I know that. There was a, there was Vegas. There was Korok and. Um, oh, yeah. Why did they like not even kind? Well, they sort of reference Monster Dave at the end when Carlos is like, should I tell your lady friend if you're infected or not? And then he's like, dude she knows what I am. And then he's like, but does she really? And then Dave's like, she knows what I am. And then Carlos is like, oh, you know. Yeah, that part was epic. The scene with Carlos and Anna is epic. It's so epic. Finally putting those pieces together. I love that Anna was doing. Like her character was 
like such a good like mystery to go through the first time you're yeah it's like this child is stuck in quarantine no she's not even in the quarantine itself she's in the uh hiding yeah she's hiding in the um tuberculosis ward yeah and it's so like that place was creepy yeah so creepy that's why i thought she was like a ghost at first (laughs) the first time i read i was like is she a ghost tuberculosis (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that's something to me that makes this series like it's already really good because of what's happening but there's just too many good characters in the series like you've got falconer and you have like anna and there's carlos and there's molly which we haven't even gotten really into molly much yet but molly is a star in this one too oh my gosh the like the champion like we'll get to it later when yeah uh but Molly, they even have a section of the book dedicated to like telling her side of the story from her. Yeah, point. that's Which, my favorite. <laughs> it was so good. And I love her name for Dave being Meat Smell because no matter what time of day it is, he always smells some sort of meat. Meat smell. I, I just love like, I don't know. I love dogs so much in general. But like, like from the point of view, it's exactly how I would imagine a dog to be like, like, oh, yeah. Of course, meat smell needs me. Like, <laughs> how is he going to eat? <laughs> I'm the one that has to save him constantly. I mean, and it's so true. But like, you know, all dogs think that when they're like <laughs> fucking barking at nothing. <laughs> I mean, Molly did drive a car into that apartment, apartment, that RV to save Dave in the first one, which yeah. we still don't know how she did that. It was just kind of like a, did she do it? No, no way. And then it's just like, okay, we're just going to move on now. <laughs> get any sort of explanation as to if she actually did it or not, or if he was hallucinating on the sauce or whatever. I actually am still really mad about what happened, but it's fine. <laughs> we'll get into it. I think, <laughs> so at this point in the story, we're, we're in book two, and now we're counting down to the massacre at Firth Asylum. We already talked a bit about like, like now John's depressed as shit, but he's on, <laughs> he's on his own drinking and shit and going with college kids. Amy's in her dorm trying to get to Dave because she's still convinced he's alive. And then this is when, you know, we get that point where Amy meets the stupid Z-Day boys. I absolutely <laughs> hated these guys. Like every time so I read to them, I'm just like, oh my God. And it's sad because I think in our high school that we went to, Vicky, yeah. we had a group of people <laughs> that were kind of like that. And then it's just really, uh, <laughs> and it's like they want an apocalypse so badly. And it's like they finally got one. And now they're just crying and shaking in their boots. And nobody knows what they'll do. The fight or flight kicks in. And 99% of the time, you're going to choose flight if you're as dumb and pampered as these guys were. Yeah. yeah yeah what'd you think of what do you think of the z-day guys <laughs> ella i don't know like obviously i thought they were stupid like they were dumb but but i i had so much more faith in them <laughs> than what they deserved because <laughs> i really thought that like i don't know they weren't gonna be so fucking terrified like amy would have done a better job than them and i don't know why i'm saying that like that's crazy because Amy's fucking amazing, especially in this badass. book. She is so badass in this book. She also pees on herself in this book. So <laughs> that's <laughs> all because of Molly. <laughs> Perfectly balanced. <laughs> she has a 
cool moment she pisses herself <laughs> i also thought that it was funny that like in the beginning when she was on the bus ride back to yeah. like she was about to piss herself but she didn't but then in the end she pissed herself. <laughs> foreshadowing <laughs> for something that didn't need foreshadowing no yeah <laughs> i never connected that i would have never thought of it <laughs> But yeah, and then at this, so at this point, like like we said, he he wakes up and meets Anna, and he's lost his memory, so he doesn't know where he's at. Again. <laughs> Fucking again. Yeah. David cannot keep memories to save his life. <laughs> For real. So then he gets shifted back into quarantine. So he has to learn about quarantine for the first time. And this is our first time learning about quarantine with him because it's not like we got to see him in there the first time. I was just going to say it was really infuriating how everybody was like, it, it was funny because Dave has a really, really funny line where he's like, this is like the third time that someone's spoken to me and I thought they were speaking another language because he has no idea what the hell is happening. Like people call him Spider-Man and stuff. Like, hey, Spider-Man. <laughs> also, TJ's cool. I like TJ. That's the voice they gave TJ in the audio book. He just, he always was like, hey, yo, Spider-Man. It's <laughs> amazing. But let, uh, back it, uh, to take it back to when he meets Anna and he's getting shifted to quarantine, let's not forget that that's when we get their big reveal that Tenet is working with Reaper yeah. to, uh, is it Reaper or Reaper? I think it's Reaper. Reaper. For some reason, my brain was like, nah, dude, it's Reaper. <laughs> like, you get the big reveal that he's working with them and like he's been hired on to do it. No, I think he tells Dave that in the second therapy session, He's like, I'm being brought in to do this. Yeah. But like, you don't know the extent to what he's doing until you see him in one of the white space suits, as they call it, and when they're describing it. You also don't know the extent to like how the outbreak is going to be back when he tells him before, like, yeah, you know, how crazy it's going to get. Uh, just a whole town get quarantined and possibly bombed. Not just your average Tuesday and undisclosed. Yeah. Yeah, and, th and then I like how like during all of this, like he's getting stuck back into quarantine. He's figuring out why he's Spider-Man and all that shit. And you're seeing Amy go through the adventure. I don't know, the first time I read this, I was not putting the pieces together as far as Amy and the RV and the massacre at Firth Asylum. Same. I was, even after I read it, I was like, no way, was that the massacre? Cause just, they're so fucking dumb. They really murdered a bunch of fucking people. It's so weird though, cause like, when, when they finally do get to the massacre and you find out that it's literally just David's group of people going out and then Amy's group of people going in, colliding, and then like Amy said, the first time they see like anything moving in the dark, they're going to start blasting and they end up killing each other. That's exactly what happens, except it's weird because it was just people, but then all of the z uh, zombie guys, the zombie crew, idiots that want to stop yeah. Idiots, uh, they killed by monsters, if I'm not mistaken. Like, they yeah, yeah, but like, I don't know, it just makes me wonder what would have happened if maybe they didn't overlap. Like, would the guys from the quarantine have been able to escape, or would the massacre have been different? Would it have just been them getting killed by the monsters instead? They really should have sent out a scouting party, yeah. Like, um, what was his name? The guy with the gun from quarantine, Owen. Owen. Oh my God! Fuck what, Owen. What was his uh? What was his stage name? Like O Nasty or like O Funk or something like that? I don't remember honestly. It's so stupid. Cause like he works with John. Like that's yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, fuck Owen. Fuck everything. Fuck Owen. Or the 
Craig found the gun and now he thinks he's God of the corner. Right. Well, <laughs> screw Owen, but also I'm really glad he found Dave before he went into the tunnel because if Dave had gone through, Dave would have been a part of the massacre. Yeah, that's true. Amy found out that the people she sent in there were the ones that killed her, her, her Dave. That could have ended okay. very differently. I was just thinking about how fucking confusing that whole thing was. What if like, because Carlos and Anna, they were in the tuberculosis ward, right? Yeah. What if that was like them who killed them? Because it was dark. Like I'm thinking it could have been Carlos. I think it was Carlos, yeah. I think it was Carlos that killed the um, the zombie survival team people. But I think he only did it because they were out there murdering other people. Innocence, because like he can discern people, you know, from monsters. Is that why he killed that one kid who came? Yeah. Anytime oh. he killed anyone in the quarantine, it was okay. because they were a monster. Like, oh. He straight up says, like, I can tell who's who and what's what. Like, you can tell a man from a woman. Yeah. I like that. I like when he explains that because it explains why. Like, you remember, like, Dave sat on the floor and he was fine, but the kid sat down and two seconds later he was killed. It really explains why it was like that. Like, he wasn't just killing randomly. He was helping them out. Yeah. But I don't think Anna hurt anybody in that scene because I think he says like explicitly that Anna has never hurt anyone and he's trying to help her never have to. Yeah. But I just don't understand how when uh, Amy (laughs) is describing like what she's seeing and stuff, it seems like there's a fucking bunch of monsters that they're killing. Like she's like, it was chaos. There was like rolling, like not rolling, but like toiling, like bodies everywhere. Like, I don't know. I really thought that the 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 killing of the people and then like the peop the people who the group of Z boys were shooting, people monsters, I thought that they, that was separate because the way she describes it, it makes it seem like they're killing some monsters. Yeah. I think it had something to do with like um for one, it was dark. Amy could only really see from the camera and the the only light she really had was the muzzle flash at that point, because I believe they dropped the flashlight in the yeah in the hallway at one point and like they just never picked it up for some reason so all you could really see was from the point of the gun and the muzzle flash and i think there was a flashlight attached to the to one of the guns that yeah yeah so like in terms of amy describing what she saw and plus once the bodies start piling up you know you're gonna have to make some weird movements to get out of it they could have seen monster like but like it's just super weird that like they handle it that way and like you see it from like two very different points of view where it's like amy thought that she just saw a bunch of monsters and her new friends die like instantly because mm-hmm. all those guys know is they came out there and there was a group of people just waiting to shoot them yeah which is really weird but then it's also confusing because it's like if that was carlos and he was killing those people because they were what like shooting other people then why did he kill that guy who was the driver? That was so random. Like, he was just sitting there minding his own business and then, like... Well, he was a part of the... Like, if he really was killing the team because of the fact that they were killing all those people, then he knew that the RV driver was their getaway driver. Like, he was a part of the crew. He was... I mean, as far as he would have seen, he would have been like, okay, this RV pulls up and then they come and kill people. I'm gonna kill everyone that I can kill. I think it had something to do with David, though. I think while they were in quarantine together and David, you know figured out that Carlos was one of the monsters and then, you know, Carlos dipped out because, you know, spooky, spooky, I'm, I'm a monster. I think they might have talked about Amy and so he knew, okay, she's not the threat, these assholes are. I'm gonna take out the threat 
And just so that David doesn't attempt to murder me later, I'm going to leave his girlfriend alive. That makes sense. So, okay, so we kind of skipped over Molly getting to the quarantine because that's yeah. before the massacre. Yeah. She leaves from the quarantine to get to, uh, what's it called? Uh, to Amy. Yeah. But do you guys want to talk a little bit about her journey to, yeah. to the quarantine? Definitely. I love that part. It was so great. And I'm going to have to cut things off right there. That was part one of This Book is Full of Spiders. Part two is coming out next Monday. So stay tuned. And until next time, stay psyched.